This is a Baby Brunch podcast. This podcast is proudly brought to you by FedHealth. FedHealth's FlexiFed 2 and 3 options offer superb maternity and childhood benefits, including its free FedHealth baby program to see members through their pregnancy and parenting journeys. Choose FedHealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice, flexibility and control, and that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey. FedHealth, we let you be you. Today we're chatting to Linda Mtenjani. She's a registered and practicing clinical psychologist and a mental health activist who is passionate about relationships and couples' ability to connect. Today we believe that we can give you some insights on how to create a functional relationship, a basic unit that can be strengthened. Linda, thanks for your time. Mm, Thank you, Lana. Thanks for the invitation. Why are you so passionate about relationships? Well, you know, Alana, we're born into relationships. And usually when we're hurt, the only healing that we can get is in relationships. And if we can have people understand basic relationship skills, many of the problems that we have in society would probably be resolved a lot more easier. So I really believe that the ability to um, relate well is, is probably one of the most primal uh, skills that we need to learn. I want to get into this affairs. What is considered an affair? What is considered a love affair? You know, Ilana, I guess the first people who really need to define what an affair is, is the couple themselves, right? Mm. Because if, if the couple has a very clear idea of the rules of engagement, so, you know, is flirting an affair, is um, sexting, is a chat room, you know, and there are many variations, yeah. but the couple will have to actually decide when it becomes an affair. But broadly, the way we see it is that anything that has secrecy and deception, whether that is actually in thought or in deed, because the allure of sex or an emotional connection is as bad as the actual act, right? right. So the key elements, I think the key ingredients are whether or not there's deception, whether or not there's hiding or emission, and the kind of emotional involvement that people have. Because when you think about defining an an affair, I think what we need to think about is it's that whole aliveness that people feel because of a connection outside of the relationship they've agreed to be in. I was going to ask you about that. Why is it so exciting, this love affair? You know, there's something about it that's almost, in Afrikaans we'd say, you know, it attracts you. Why is it so exciting? Because it stokes your your basic energy on aliveness. Um, it, it really brings a different type of energy. Because what you probably will find is that where you currently are, that is not the energy that you're experiencing. Oh. Um, that is not the desire that you have for yourself or the other person has for you. So the ability for that to be stoked, which is a basic human need, our need to feel alive, our need to feel wanted, our need to feel needed, our need to to be admired. That's what that stokes, that basic energy. So a lot of the people or couples that you see are people who have been involved in an affair and that need some kind of of therapy or <laughs> rehabilitation or even advice you know who comes for therapy is it is it mostly females or males or or do couples come together 
Well, I see only couples. And usually when we, as couple therapists, we would see couples. So what's quite interesting about this is the people who normally call, like if, you, if I take a percentage of about 60%, are men, which surprised me a lot, especially in the last couple of years. Men call and ask to come and help their, have their relationship worked on or looked mm. at. And, and I guess one can understand it if you think about patriarchy and male friendships, you know, that's not where you want to talk about things that are not working in your own relationship. I would imagine you'd sooner talk to a stranger or someone who you believe is fair or professional. But yes, I was quite surprised by this one, Ilana, that mm. uh, just also chatting to my colleagues who work mainly with couples, it's a larger number of males who call in to um, for couple therapy. And what age? I mean, when, when people sure. decide to do this, how, how old more or less are people when they engage in affairs? I guess the, the question is how old do people get into ser- serious relationships? How old are they? It's mm-hmm. anything from 20 to 68. <laughs> right. it's, that whole, it's that whole range. So it's, it's less about age and more about exactly what's happening between two people and then, of course, for the individual themselves, what's happening within them that would determine whether or not an affair would happen. Why does it hurt so much when you know that someone has had an affair? Is it all about trust that's broken? Is it, mm. is it, it's painful, right? Why, why does it hurt so much? Mm. You know, and, and you're right about that. When someone discovers an affair, it, it often shatters them. And and that is the right word. If you can think of glass breaking into small little pieces, it shatters what we call the betrayed partner. Mm-hmm. Now, it's a multi-layered answer here, um, Ilana, because it's not just simply that it hurts in my head or in my heart. So first of all, there's that whole messiness and that chaos is probably caused by the fact that this is a traumatic event. Right. Mm. It is traumatic. And if it's traumatic, your body's response to it will not just be in thought, but it will be physiological. So often my clients will talk to me about the fact that the first time when I heard this, I fell on the ground mm. and cried like a baby. Right. You know, and, and that is about a, a certain part of your brain. And in fact, we call it attachment distress, because what happens is the trauma that you're currently experiencing goes straight to what we call your your brainstem, your, your old brain, right? Now, in fact, I want to take a step back and say, as mammals, we are attachment beings, right? Mm. We're born and we can't just get up and walk away. We need people to care for us. We need to attach. We need to love and be loved. Now, when you're in an adult relationship, that same attachment happens when you choose a mate. It's deep and it's primal. Hmm. So when that attachment is broken, what tends to happen is it goes to our very core. And what it does is it questions our safety and security. So in this world, am I safe? That, that's the question that it goes to. You have adrenaline causing through your brain. And you you react in three ways, right? You either fight, you flight, or you just shut down and you freeze. So Mm. there is an absolute primal physiological response that actually happens, right? But 
as I said, it's it's a multi-layered kind of onion, this one, because that's one response that ha- that's happening. But the second response that's also happening is that you're grieving. You are grieving a loss of a primary attachment, right? So the normal stages of being angry, denying, sad, even depression, all of this can happen. And, and these things are not linear. These things can happen all at once at times. And that's why the behavior usually looks so chaotic because you have been robbed, so to speak, of this primal intimacy. Mind you, usually your partner as well, or or what we call the unfaithful partner, they themselves are going through their own process. I was going to ask about that because immediately I think of the shame that goes with it. But also, I have to say, Linda, the courage, because... When you see affairs on TV, right, or in these series where they catch the partner out, you know, having the affair, it's almost like there's a time where it starts to feel normal. And that's when they're normally caught out because they start going out together or they become more courageous in sending these messages. And there's, there's almost a part of the, like you said, the unfaithful partner that becomes courageous enough that doesn't care being caught out. What is that? Yeah, look, I, I think there are different reactions, right? Um, right? I think there are different reactions. And it does, it really depends on what's happening in the relationship. So, yes, we have heard, uh, in my rooms, I've heard of patients saying, I actually did want us to stop. <laughs> and I started becoming careless. And, and when I think about it psychologically, part of me really did want this to stop. And the only way it would have stopped was by being caught, right? So, I mean, there is that. But to be honest, unfaithful partners themselves feel a lot of ambivalence. Because remember, the person that you've chosen, there's a part of you that is really attracted to them. Mm-hmm. So losing that affair, making that mistake, is, it could be that part of ambivalence. Relief, sometimes, that the, mm-hmm. the secret is out. But the shame, as you rightfully say, Lalana, could also be part of that ambivalence. Remember in the beginning, we were talking about how exciting and energetic it is. So that energy of being alive and the newness of it versus the normality of just your ordinary life also could make you feel a sense of ambivalence. It isn't an easy process for the unfaithful either. And, And usually when people come to therapy, that is something that one tries to get the couple to start understanding that this is an interplay between two individuals. The fact that the one made the cognitive decision to step out of a relationship does not mean that person is the wrong person. Not at all. Sure. You're dating someone and already he is looking the other way, already she is looking the other way. Do you get married or is affairs or the desire to be with someone else, is it something that one can fix? What if you label it to your personality yeah. and you say, I generally I'm a person that gets bored with relationships quickly, so I might I might have an affair, you know? <laughs> I might I might not be faithful because I might get I, I yeah. So fortunately affairs boredom is is really one small reason that affairs occur. Yes, at times it could very well be boredom, but there are many other reasons. But to your question of we're dating and I'm making the decision that I'm going to have an affair, should I get married? So the question I have is why would you want to get married? Mm. Um, Why would you want to get married? And, you know, I'm very reluctant to talk about uh, personality disorders because it's also 
quite an easy way of kind of hiding under a, uh, or behind a label. Mm. I would rather look at, you know, why, why do you want to attach? Because normally what happens with attachment is that when we meet someone, it's quite an interesting thing. If it's the right person, and as far as we know, there are few right people. There isn't one single right person. Right. But if this person is your imago, the image of you, then you will, in a room full of strangers, your brain will pick that person out. Mm. And so many times we've heard how people fall in love. And that's what they do. They fall in love. They don't walk in love. Because you choose that person or that person chooses you in a crowd, in a room, you get, you're drawn to someone, mm. right? Now, in that state where you're drawn to someone, you know, it would be very surprising that whilst you're still in that stage, you're drawn to many people at the same time. Mm. So then one, one would have to wonder what's going on there in terms of the psychology around that. But if I can come back to your question, affairs happen, yes, when people are bored, but there are many other reasons. And, and you know, mm. often people want to say it's boredom, but sometimes there, there's what we call an existential crisis, where once again, you're not feeling very alive. And let's say you bury a parent and you realize that your life is moving on. You wonder whether or not you've done enough and you need something to make you feel alive. So that's not boredom. That's more what we call an existential crisis. Um, mm. It's about wanting something to give you a lot more energy inside. And, and you could be very happy leading a normal life, but just feeling like that's what you need. But sometimes having an affair has everything to do with a relationship that's not working for you. And therefore you need to look somewhere else or a relationship where you're not feeling valued for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. right? But it can also happen that you have... Whatever unmet needs that your relationship is not meeting, you believe can be met outside. Very rarely, very rarely do we see the kind of sexual addiction, chronic philanderer type relationship. Mm. Usually it's an interplay of what is happening inside the relationship, the relationship. and inside that individual person. Yes. Sure. There's so much there that I could unpack. I, I want to... In a while, I want to ask you about the the aliveness and the energetic feeling in your own relationship and how to put that back. But before I get mm. to the remedy, I want to stay with the person who's affected by the affair, so the one that's hurt. And I want to stay with the one who's having the affair where there's a lot of shame and maybe a little bit of guilt, but also the urge to continue with this affair because you feel you deserve it. Uh, you deserve the energy and excitement of this new relationship or this endeavor journey that you are on. We talked about the trauma around it, why it's so traumatic. I love how you related us to our basic form, you know, how we fall in love and how we, what if you're in denial? You and your partner have got a agreement and we've earlier we defined what an affair is, but your partner thinks that you're having an affair and you're saying, but it's not, it was just an SMS. It was just a kiss. I love you. <laughs> so so that that's quite an interesting one where friends are not quite friends. Um, so if you haven't defined what it means to, and, and most relationships don't do that, mm -hmm. but if you haven't defined 
the parameters or the boundaries or the rules of engagement for what you, the two of you would consider an affair, then that becomes a back and forth conversation. But the keys to affairs is is the secrecy around it. That's a big, that's a big element. If there's secrecy around it, if you've now built a wall between your partner and somebody else, and that somebody is inside the room with you, then that is an affair. So one could also consider porn an affair if it's not an agreed upon way of stimulating yourself or each other in, in, mm. your, in your relationship. So that could be considered. Dating apps could be considered an affair if that is not an agreement between the two of you. So when it becomes, when it takes away from the energy you need to put and the intimacy and connection you need to put into your known relationship, it starts teetering on an affair. So that lady at work who has access or who knows about what your wife does or what your husband does to make you upset, that is teetering on a border. Mm. Mm-hmm. Say that so again. Really- okay, so so the person <laughs> at work who knows a lot about what's happening in your relationship with your partner is a possible threat. Yes. And the reason they are is because what you've agreed when you're in a relationship with someone, not that they're going to be your all, that's not what I'm saying, but what you have agreed is a level of intimacy and connection and secrecy and a a certain level of aliveness between the two of you. Now, if any of those elements are now being directed to somebody else through conversation, especially conversations that you knew if your partner was standing behind you, you they would not appreciate you having that conversation and that's the litmus test isn't it right. isn't it if they're standing behind you would you still say the same thing mm. if the answer is yes then of course then it's open it's open information as public information more often than not it isn't though and slowly you start creating walls which bind the two of you in and leave your partner on the outside Linda, the things we are talking about here. (laughs) Let's quickly talk about that word secret. How much do you tell your partner? You're newly wed. Your mom didn't write you that book. Oh, wait, none of our moms wrote us that book that talks about the perfect wife. (laughs) How, how How much do you tell your partner and what do you keep quiet about? So let's not call it a secret. Let's call it about, let's call it openness. What are some of the yeah. things that you can keep? I mean, we, we had another podcast that talks about why couples fight, right? Mm. And there's some things that you don't tell your partner. Like like if you know your partner's not grounded, you're not going to be like, oh, I've had such a crazy day and I don't feel loved because it's not the time, right? You're going to wait till he's grounded. And But what are some of the things that you keep from your partner? Are you allowed to keep some secrets? Well, it's an interesting one, that one, because, in fact, the person who talks about it best is Esther Perel, where... Yes, of course, there needs to be some intrigue and some, not secrecy, secrecy is not not the right word, but there needs to be some level of intrigue to keep the desire. So when one talks about what do you keep away, you need to make sure that not everything blah is on the table because there is a level of intimacy that requires some sort of secrecy and some sort of clandestineness, right? But that's only in relation to keeping desire alive. It's right. not in relation to, to hurtful facts, right? Okay. So I often say to my daughters, 
don't be on the loo while he's shaving. I mean, that's that's just, you know, that, mm. that starts taking away from that, from the boundaries that you need to have between each other. There are certain levels of boundaries. Mm. At the same time, I'm not saying take it to the far extreme where you need to go home before you can use the toilet. No, I'm not saying mm. that either. Right. Mm. So I love your practical example, by the way. This is great. (laughs) This works for me. Okay. No, I hear you. I hear you. Yeah. There's some intrigue that you want to keep as you work through your, your marriage, as you as you work through your relationships, any relationship. But the moment that and you know it, the moment that it starts becoming harmful, the moment that it's actually something that could hurt the other person, and you know those things, Mm. this is when the secrecy becomes bad. So a lot of women, for instance, quickly call the the helper as they get in, is he here? Take my shoes, put them under the cupboard, he'll never know. And when you put them on, it's a case, oh no, didn't you? Were you not there when we bought these? Are you sure? I'm sure you even bought these for me, (laughs) right? So that, whilst doesn't look harmful, that level of dishonesty and not being able to disclose your need, your desire to actually have expensive shoes every second month will start feeding into a whole bunch of other things eventually. Mm-hmm. It, it, you just you need the opportunities, that's all. But you've set the mechanism in place. It's then easier to have other sets of lies around it. So normally I would say there isn't a need to lie. There isn't a need to disclose everything But the things that you know, if he knew, would harm the relationship, one has to have a way of of being able to talk about them. This is is valuable because I'm learning so much, not just about affairs, but also about relationships. And and, I mean, you're a mom, but... But you see so many people who are struggling with this. And I mean, another theme, just other than denial and hurt and secrets and guilt... But there's just so many feelings and themes around this trauma called called affairs. I want to ask, though, if you want to end the relationship, things are fine, you know, but you don't want to be in it anymore, God forbid, and you want to move on. There's no abuse. Things are okay. That would be hurtful to end as much as an yeah. affair, right? So you're talking about um Ending the primary relationship, Mm. not the affair relationship. Not the affair relationship. I must be honest, I haven't had someone coming in wanting to end their primary relationship. Most people are trying to save their primary relationship because the amount of investment that they've actually put in there, not just money, not just time, but the rituals, the family relationships, Mm. the friends, you know, it's a lot to just simply give away, right? And usually that is the consideration that people make when they make the decision of whether to stay or go. But the disclosure that you're talking about of of wanting to end your primary relationship would take, I guess, the same kind of form that the disclosure of talking about the affair would, which is Mm. it would need help. An honest conversation on its own would not necessarily have it go well. Often what I find, though, is that people who are able to come back from affairs, and, and people can, and sometimes relationships are even made stronger, more often than not have had some level of intervention, a third person, not necessarily a psychologist, sometimes a priest, sometimes an older aunt, mm. but um, sometimes a psychologist. Um, there almost always is a need for another, for a, a referee, so to speak, mm. um, who is on both your sides to try and, and help you right. pull it back together. 
I love yeah. how you brought the solution in and also the fact that a relationship, because that's what's going to be my next question. You know, can one bounce back from an affair? Can you have a healthy relationship after you have committed time and energy to an affair, you know, and um, and you're talking about some form of mediation, whether whether it's a psychologist or, or an older aunt. How long does it, you know, someone's listening to this podcast thinking, well, I'm in it now. This is horrible. All I want to do is run away, you know, the, the fight and the flight and the, the shatter that we talked about. How long does it take to patch things up? Is it a, is it a year-long journey? Is it a does it drag on? Is it forever? You're always going to have to remember, ah, he had an affair. She had an affair. So, therefore, I forgive, but I'm going to keep it. I'm just going to keep it here in case I see the same kind of signs as the last time. Mm. So, it is true that if it's not dealt with, like any trauma in your life, if it's not dealt with, it lives in your body and it's re-triggered when something else happens. Right. If it is not work with, right? But if a couple, and that's what mainly happens when people come to us, if a couple is willing to work, it's a lot of work, it's hard, it's painful, there are a lot of tears, we cry with the couple as well. So if they really prepare to work and rewrite the script, they actually can enter a second marriage. We've seen it happen. But you really have to be open to challenging uh, yourself, the hurt that you're feeling. You have to take the responsibility, which is usually the hardest part, accepting responsibility, not just the person who has betrayed, but the person who's been betrayed. Taking some level of responsibility on how you as a couple got to this point. And if you're willing to do all of that, the hard work, look at your role, be honest about how you got there, choose your relationship first before you choose anything else. And especially for the the partner who has betrayed, there's a lot of work to regaining that trust. Mm. It's a lot of work. It's an uphill battle. And if you're prepared to do all of that, we've seen uh, couples bounce back, you know, kind of, after 24, 28 months um, and, and really get their footing once again. But I mean, it's the re-establishing safety and stabilizing that couple takes a while. Grieving for that trauma takes a while. And then of course, repairing takes a while. And you can imagine if there was um, sexual intimacy, just rebuilding intimacy mm. um, also will take a bit of time, but it can happen. I love that, that it can happen. I, I, I feel so sad. You know, it's like I'm holding this feeling of, of someone who who is going through this. And when you mentioned the amount of work that would have to go into it in order to to continue with your relationship, your marriage, um, it sounds like a lot of work. But you want you want that commitment, right? You want that love. I love being married. I love being married. And yeah. and I can't imagine affairs just sound like so much work <laughs> it just sounds, it, it i'm sounds, glad to hear you think so <laughs> it sounds like more work to to fix things than to have it in the first place you know like don't even bother yeah, you, no i i hear you um i hear you and, and like you i enjoy being married i really do but what i have found is that sometimes affairs are exactly the catalyst people need to have a real marriage so before, mm-hmm. uh, people kind of have relationships where they walk parallel to each other. We're both professionals. I don't need you. You don't need me. Mm-hmm. And emotionally, we sort of come together. We have kids, private schools, etc., And we look good. <laughs> and it, it really is an intervention like that that gets you to understand that actually you do care enough for this person to want a deeper connection. Right. And I've seen deeper connections come through. 
post an affair. All of this. <laughs> How do you say no? Someone at work or... See, now it's easier because lockdown, you know, has come to reset things a bit. We're working from home and things are a little bit different. But what if you are approached by someone that says, I, I like you and I want to have an affair? How do you say no? So the nice thing about affairs is that, you know, remember when, when you, your husband asked you to date, it, it's usually not just a boom. And we, you know, we kind of walk into a relationship. Right. Like anything, there's a courtship. Mm. And you're probably open to the courtship if you yourself need some sort of reaffirmation, you're not happy, there's an existential crisis, um, you're not being noticed. You know, so if you need any of that and, and somebody is gently courting you into this, I guess it's important to be able to go back to your husband and say, hey, dude, can I have those flowers? Because somebody's offering me flowers and I really don't want those, I want yours. Um, and, and really really try and put that back into your relationship. Mm. And sometimes it is a wake-up call for people who've become a bit stagnant. Um, complacent. And, and <laughs> a little bit complacent. Mm. Because what I often find, Ilana, is that a lot of couples just kind of walk through their relationship without really noticing the little things. So, I mean, we teach things like appreciation. We teach things like people having emotional visions together. And, and an emotional vision is anything that connects you. So making a pact between each other, for instance, that you don't walk past each other without the other person touching the other person, or you mm. don't, you're, not in the, you, you're never in the same room without one person winking to the other. You know, nice. it, it's, it's those small little things that keep it feeling fresh. And l let's be honest, um, relationships, long-term relationships are about choosing to love that person absolutely every morning. Absolutely every morning. And some mornings you really don't want to. Mm. So when we don't choose to love that person and we open ourselves to that kind of risk, I can understand, especially in a work environment, how it could be easy. But I guess as you're as we're saying, the solution is to see if you can't plow that back in mm -hmm. to your own relationship. Yeah, of course, yeah, of course, Ilana, we're not talking here about people who are physically abused. We're not talking about people who are emotionally mm. abused. That, that's a different dynamic altogether. Right. Here we're talking about relationships that have been going for a while, churning along, nothing very wrong, nothing very right. Mm. And I must tell you, that is the bulk of relationships. Mm. <laughs> So those, those are, that's what we're talking about. We, we need to respect the, the kind of extremes of how things can go wrong in relationships. How many people do you come across that are pregnant and the husband or the wife seeks for love elsewhere? Is that quite common? It would have to have been something that's happened before the pregnancy. Right. It isn't the pregnancy per se that we find that causes someone to roam. It's not those nine months. Something must have been a, a key concern before the pregnancy. Mm. So so yes, I have had pregnant ladies in my in my office with their partners. But when you listen to the trajectory of the relationship, this would have happened whether or not the, the lady was pregnant. I mean, we know that in the nine months, some months are more difficult than others in terms of being able to connect on all levels of, of intimacy, not just sexually. I, I must say that hasn't been a common thread, that it's, it's been the pregnancy per se and that period per se that's caused 
a rift in the relationship. Right. The communication challenges and whatever else that, that has been going on is usually something that's happened before. It's not the pregnancy per se. It's everything else that we spoke about in terms of what could cause affairs. You're married to your husband, you love him, but he can't give you a baby. And therefore, I want an affair because someone else can give me that baby. You're pregnant already inside the marriage oh. and it's not oh. your husband's baby because, oh. yes, he couldn't give you a baby. And he knows that. The two of you have been to tests. Yes, but he didn't know about the affair and he doesn't know that the baby is not his. Well, if you've been to test, you both know who is unable to help with the pregnancy. That's a tricky one. Mm, that's an interesting one, Ilana. So is, is the question, what do you do? What do you yes. do with the child that isn't your husband's child? Mm-hmm. Do you want to stay in the relationship? Uh, yes, because I love him. This is not me, by the way. I'm creating a scenario no, we... because this... <laughs> Are you worried that somebody who walks in listens to this I know. And things that... <laughs> my, my husband's babies are definitely ours. I'm just... Yeah. This, this is something that I so, know that has happened. So, I mean, I, I say keep the baby, but I'm just wondering from an expert, don't we create more trauma and more difficulty? Do you leave and walk out? Well, again, this is about the relationship. Huh? So if the two of them are able to come to an understanding about wanting to both keep the baby and stay together, which is obviously best case scenario, mm. that can be done in terms of helping them reach that point in a therapeutic relationship. That's mm. that for sure. But what's more important in the case that you're putting forward is the, um, the affair. So it's actually the secrecy and, mm. and the deception that has happened and the trauma that will ensue because of it. So everything that I've said about how long it takes to fix will apply here. Mm. Because the end doesn't justify the means. The person will still feel, especially if it is unknown to them, that that is the solution you chose to solve our problem. (laughs) Then, you know, you have chose a deceptive solution which will cause the same amount of anger, And remember, sometimes, especially for men, trauma doesn't look like trauma. It looks like anger. But Mm. actually, it's somebody who is hurting, who is in pain. So I would would rather say, if that is a possibility that somebody else can make you pregnant, that that becomes a conversation. Because Mm. the level of trauma that that would bring may not be worth the solution you're trying to create. Mm. My next question was going to be about you confessing that your partner drove you to an affair. And, and earlier you, you mentioned how when both parties come for counseling, that the one would have to take a little bit of accountability and, and responsibility for the relationship not being optimal or great, and that the other one will then admit to the affair and what you've caused and created. What I want to ask next is, so how do you put the spark and the wink and pinch my bum when I'm not looking, you know, <laughs> how how do you put that back in a relationship that has become a place where it's a danger, it's a possibility for an affair, you know? Mm. So, I mean, one of the first things I would say is we talk about love maps and it's really a Gottman term where what we say is what's quite important is to really 
get to understand and know your partner well. And that is on so many levels. It's quite amazing because that kind of getting to know someone takes years. And as they grow and as you grow, things change. So there are a whole lot of games. There's the the whole host of tools that can help you get to know each other. But let's just look at what it is that keeps a relationship fresh and amazing and people wanting to, to stay in it. More often than not, it has to do with attachment, once again. It has to do with the level of intimacy and connection that I get and I'm able to give in that relationship. So if we're able to keep that going and we add a spark of Mm. the desire and the sexuality, we probably have a formula that works quite well. So starting, starting off with really spending a lot of time over the years, deepening what we call those love maps, getting to understand your partner very well. Mm. Secondly is when we talk about intimacy, and I'm sure you've heard this, it's about into me see, which is really spending the time getting to understand what the other partner needs and trusting in what we call abundance, which is if I get to understand what you need, the chances are high that you will understand what I need. And mm-hmm. I, don't want to, I don't have to be fighting for what I need, right. right? So that abundance mentality in the way that we look at relationships then becomes very important. The other thing, of course, is just quite simply how we talk to each other. And, and I find, Ilana, that that's actually quite an important one. The ability to hear each other and be heard. All of us want to know we matter. Hear each other and be heard that becomes a very important thing. I love how you say, mm. Linda, the way we talk to each other. That's so, you know what? I've found that not even within my marriage, within relationships uh, at work, within yes. even, even road rage, right? The way we talk yeah. to each other, it can change. It can change the direction a conversation goes. It can actually Absolutely. resolve something. Yeah. No, that's, 100%. Oh, gosh, that's so significant. What else? Sorry, I'm literally okay. hanging on your so, lips. I'm like, <laughs> <laughs> okay. So let's let's. So one of the things. So remember, I was talking about love maps, and what those love maps do is they create a deep friendship. And that deep friendship has usually a sense of mutual respect, and you really enjoy each other's company. Like you just love being in each other's company. Mm-hmm. So if you don't know each other well enough, the chances of creating that deep relationships aren't very. Uh, a deep relationship is not high. Yeah. What I also find is. Couples that just admire each other, they admire each other, they're fond of each other. Mm-hmm. They're like, look at him. You know, even when, you know, it's at a, it's at a Christmas party or whatever, you're like, ah, oh, look at my man. Mm-hmm. You know, look how gorgeous he looks today, hey? Eh? Mm-hmm. So this, this fondness and admiration that your partner knows about is critical in actually trying to prevent some of, of this looking outside the relationship stuff. Mm-hmm. Another important one, which I don't think we think about often, is one that we call repairing. You know how when somebody hurts you, your initial um, need is to hurt back. Mm. And as you grow in the relationship, you realize that when somebody hurts you and they come back and they say they're sorry, in whichever format, when you can see their ability to say sorry, and you do the same when you are the one who's caused the hurt, we call that the ability to repair. Because nine out of 10, yeah. Because nine out of 10, you are gonna, it's gonna go wrong. Mm. (laughs) Let's just be sure it's gonna go. The important thing is, can you repair? And can you see when he's trying to repair? Mm. So maybe when he makes you that cup of coffee and you actually want a ginger tea, it's his attempt. 
can you pick that up and be happy with the fact that he knows you like a hot drink and you can correct <laughs> it on another day right? and you do the same i actually had a couple like that where she wanted him to clean the house and he hated cleaning the house hmm. but he just cleaned the whole house he hated it he hated it but when she saw that she saw it as something that was distinctly for her right. him saying sorry to her that is a repair attempt Right. So the ability to actually give and, and receive a, a repair attempt is I very important. I love repair attempts. I love. That's mm. the one word I'm going to hold. Repair. Yeah. Because <laughs> then when he brings the coffee, then I still say, mm, "I'm glad you made coffee because mm. <laughs> <laughs> you're in trouble." <laughs> yeah. I'm glad you you're said sorry. Okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> This is amazing stuff. This is... Um... Yeah. Alana, can but, I add one more? Yes, please. I have please. to add this last one. So a lot of couples that are together and have a, a really deep sense of why they're together, you know, beyond just the two of us, why are we doing this? What are we trying to do? What are some of the rituals that we want to create? Do we celebrate birthdays? Don't we? You know, just having a shared sense of what your life is about. Yeah. And a shared sense of purpose. Um, you know, one couple said, over and above everything that's happened to us, one of the things that we agree on is we're raising the next generation of leaders. Oh, wow. <laughs> Goosebumps. Wow. <laughs> Goosebumps. That is so powerful. I want that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Our arrangement was Christmas, but I want to raise <laughs> I don't, you see, I don't like the tree and all the fuss. I love the meaning of Christmas, but I don't like the buying lots of gifts. And I married into a family that they love Christmas so much that they will burn incense that smells like berries and there's fake snow. Oh, and, and I was like, <laughs> and that's one of the rituals I had. But I love the raising future leaders. I love that. Mm. Just any rituals and customs that you create as a family to create oneness that the couple creates. And all of these things that you've asked about, Ilana, these things enrich the ground or the space between the two of you so much so that you go back into that space to dip in when you need it mm. as opposed to dipping out. So it's about creating the space between you and enriching that space and making it a space that the two of you can be nourished by. Whether it's it's the friendship or the fondness, you know, when someone knows that my wife is proud of me, I mean, it's like the biggest That's thing. Awesome. My husband's yeah. proud of me, right? Yeah. Linda, you know, what it just sets it up really for does positivity. Set it up. I want that. Mm. I want all of that. Mm. <laughs> <laughs> we do. We all do. We yeah. all do. I want to know from you because mm. you, you're a practicing clinical psychologist and you, you work with mental health and it's something that you're really passionate about and you're passionate about relationships and people. Do you believe in true love? Yes. Yes, I do. That's I, so with, nice. Without a doubt. <laughs> without a doubt. Um, I'm blushing. Know, Why? <laughs> That's nice. Mm, you made us I, happy I do today. You made us. <laughs> I do believe it. You, you I'm you not know? saying it's not a lot of hard work, Ilana. Don't yeah. get me wrong. Lots of hard work. Lots of hard but work. But my goodness, it's beautiful when it does work. I tell you why I'm so emotional and sad and happy and I, f I feel so intense today is because your work has so much purpose. Mm. And we love, I mean, it was really hard doing our interview today because we had to find a way to record you. Just, just so you know, Linda's not in my studio. She's actually at her practice and I'm far, far away. And our technical guys connected us so that we can have this chat. But I just want to let you know that the fact that you are healing relationships and giving people an ear and being literally the person that stands in the gap, you are, you are creating a little heaven on earth for a lot of people. 
because we Aww. want to feel loved and we want to we want to love you know and sometimes we just don't know how because we weren't loved as children or i don't know what our baggage is you know some of us have got more mm. we've all had childhoods but it really does become a, a cognitive adult decision as to whether or not you want to be part of something more beautiful than what you were exposed to linda mtenjani healing after betrayal you can find linda on the space between us.co.za she is based in Gauteng and in this time of lockdown and the way we run our businesses differently you can find her online as well and she can consult her with a phone and in zoom and on twitter she's linda mtenjani and on instagram they are the space between us practice and on facebook the space between us africa where where she's practicing as a clinical psychologist and a mental health activist you have purpose and you definitely you saved a life today thank you this podcast is proudly brought to you by fedhealth fedhealth's flexifed 2 and 3 options offer superb maternity and childhood benefits including its free fedhealth baby program to see members through their pregnancy and parenting journeys choose fedhealth for trusted medical aid cover that gives you choice flexibility and control and that will be with you through every stage of your family's unique journey Fed Health. We let you be you.